meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, you feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice, calm. You can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Welcoming True Nature. Welcoming True Nature is a contemplative exercise inviting us into trusting whatever arises in our experience, including awareness of what to cultivate and what to avoid. Today we are joined by Galen Ferguson. Galen has led group meditation retreats since 1976. The author of Natural Wakefulness on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness and Natural Bravery on Fear and Fearlessness, he taught religious studies at Naropa University for 15 years. Here's Galen to take away the discussion. The Dharma, when we speak of it, often means words, like in a book. The Tibetan word is lung. But Dharma, when we say, I take refuge in the Dharma, it also means there's the Dharma of realization. So what one has through experience come to realize is Dharma. So it's not just words in a book or spoken words or anything, you know, those are like a means for arriving at, some people might even say, true Dharma or the actual Dharma or the real Dharma or the authentic Dharma is not the words. The words are like, fingers pointing right at the moon, as they say in the Zen tradition. So this is called the Dharma gathering. And I was just thinking that, you know, that we use that word, you know, hosted by New York City. And I wonder how long that word has been like understandable in an English speaking context. I mean, it is now people have some sense of Dharma, what Dharma is, what Dharma might mean. Um, there was a television series called Lost. It was like it's like 15 years or so ago. It ran for six seasons. It was pretty popular, I think. And in it, there was something called the Dharma Initiative. I don't know if you ever watched it, but <laughs> a Department for it was an acronym: Department for Heuristic and Research into Material Applications. D H A R M A. Dharma, and it would appear, and this was just like a, you know, if pretty popular, I think, television show. And, you know, it maybe had some overtones of that there's something spiritual about this. Some people describe that show as like a combination of science fiction and spiritual, mystical things. I mean, all of that could be very vague as to what it means. In this case, I think New York City Shambhala Center, Shambhala, New York City, this is Buddha Dharma, I think, meaning that the Dharma are the teachings that um, come down to us from the Buddha. Uh, the, the center now, it's called Shambhala, New York City, at one point was called Dharma Datu. There were Dharma Datu meditation centers in Seattle, Los Angeles, and Chicago, and Atlanta, and Boston, and New York, and so forth. So. Um, So this is, this is part of a Dharma program, and there's even something called Dharma Art. There was a book called that, and uh, 
So for some reason, I mean, this is just to the side. Last weekend, I was studying uh, this book on uh, called The Future is Open, Good Karma, Bad Karma, and Beyond Karma. And it's by Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. It's one of his more recent books, but it's, it's transcribed and edited talks from, I think, going back to 1972. There was a seminar at a place then called Tale of the Tiger, and it was like transcribed. And I remember that many of us had like a, you know, it was called the Karma Seminar. And you sort of, I remember carrying that around as I moved from place like, and I would every once in a while reread those talks on karma pretty early on. He, he'd only been in North America two years. And so Carolyn Rose Gimeon, who edited that volume, she put that together with some talks from seminary, and different places all on this theme of karma but she says you know this was not one cloth it's a quilt there's a patch from the karma seminar and there's a patch from seminary and whatever but we would we were just talking you know it was mostly northern california berkeley folks that this word karma as well has now become part of the english vocabulary um carolyn rose gimme and the editor of that book she mentions that Merriam-Webster Dictionary Online, if you look up karma, it says that it's in the top 10% of the most used words in the English language, which I was, I was surprised. And I actually went and looked and that it, it definitely, it says that. And I don't know, when was John Lennon instant karma? Instant karma is gonna get you. You know, that's, that's a ways away. And then is that the eighties, boy George, karma, 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 chameleon? So it's definitely a word that's out there or that's used. But another book, another Dharma book called Karma by Trelag Rinpoche, um, who was a Kagyu Lama who taught in New York City. I think he had a center on the east side there at one point. Um, and it's called Karma, what it is, what it isn't, and why it matters. So this is from He's, he's passed on now, but from 2015. And um, karma, what it is, what it isn't, and why it matters. So what it is, he means from the point of view of the Buddha Dharma. <laughs> from the, in the Buddhist teachings, what is karma? And what it isn't, for instance, it's not instant. <laughs> karma is never instant. It's always a bunch of causes and conditions from the past coming together and shaping the present. And then the title of Trungpa Rinpoche's book, The Future is Open, that it doesn't shape what we do going forward. What we do inherit a situation based on past actions. The word karma literally just means action. And it turns out karma was just part of the Indian cultural situation. It's part of what's called Hinduism now. And even this word dharma, which we may associate particularly with um, Buddha Dharma, and Tibetan Buddha Dharma in particular, the founder of the Shambhala Center in New York, of the old New York Dharma Datu, the main teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. But Dharma is a word used in Hindu tradition, it's used in Jain tradition, and in Sikh as well. So I think the same thing is, you know, what, what is Dharma in this case, and what it isn't, and why it might matter. <laughs> so, so I want to distinguish it from the television show and the Dharma Initiative, whatever that was. I was never quite sure. There was some kind of research going on, but I wasn't sure what kind. And I wondered why they called it Dharma. 
if they knew that that had a kind of like aura of something or other, like, oh, we're going to associate it with something spiritual. So in the teachings of the Buddha, Buddha Dharma, as it's called in, in Sanskrit, in the original country of where the teachings of the Buddha arose, it was not called Buddhism. That's a much later English and Buddha Dharma. The teachings of the Buddha are often mm, sort of almost summarized or placed into three categories, view, practice, and action. Um, in the Tibetan tradition, the great yogin Milarepa, who sang songs of Dharma, Dharma songs, often in Milarepa's songs, and I was thinking this may be one of the first places, like reading Milarepa's songs, where I would read, oh, as to the view, it's like this. As to the practice, it's like this. And then there's action. And um, so that kind of way of summarizing, you know, if you were doing some teachings on compassion, well, what is compassion that's inseparable from emptiness, awakened heart, bodhicitta? And then here's some practices like sending and taking compassion practice that Pema Chodron has taught very widely, and others have taught that, of course. That would be the doing something to, to uh, awaken or uh, uncover this innate compassion. And then action would be in accord with what we have realized, being generous, being patient, being kind, exerting ourselves on behalf of others. So view, practice, and action. And it turns out that the most famous, you know, the earliest time that the Buddha taught the, the path of awakening, the way of the Buddha, which is to say in the first teaching of the Four Noble Truths, the truth of the path, that the eight aspects of the path, the eight limbs, as they're sometimes called, are about view, practice, and action. And they're called right, you may remember, there's right view, which in that case, the Buddha said is a middle, middle, it's not too tight and it's not too loose, it's not ascetic and it's not indulgent, so right view, then right intention or the motivation to wake up. And then those are under view. And then under practice, the Buddha taught mindfulness. There's a mindfulness sutra, and that involves effort, which is called right effort, which is not, make, not trying too hard. That actually disturbs the mind if we're overdoing it, trying too hard. That, and then also not flopping, just, you know, that would be not right effort. And then the third one is right meditative engagement, that having engaged the mindfulness, there's some momentum or some flavoring of wakefulness in terms of mindfulness, awareness, meditation. So that's all under practice. And then under action, it's right action, which to begin with is action that doesn't cause harm. And then later is action that's actually helpful and liberates beings. And that includes right speech, slander or gossip is harmful to ourselves and the community. And speaking the truth, right speech is, is helpful, keeps the situation kind of clean in a way. And then right livelihood. So those are all under action, two, three, and three. Two under view, three under practice, and three under action. Two, three, and three is eight. So that's the eightfold path. That's all view, practice, and action. So then under action is another set of three. There's a, a set of three in the Buddha Dharma that goes ethical conduct, 
and then meditation, and then knowing, a kind of accurate or insightful knowing. So the ethical conduct, the word in Sanskrit is shila, as I said, not causing harm, helping, liberating. Ethical means it sets up some kind of atmosphere called the ethos, right? That if you're in a place where no one's hunting or killing, we have certain land centers in Colorado and Vermont associated with our community. And sometimes you'll see that the deer and other animals, it's like they've, they've picked up on it that no one's hunting on that land. <laughs> and they, they, sometimes they'll come quite close. And so there's an atmosphere of a certain kind of non-aggression, non-violence, gentleness. And that comes from no, no one hunting, literally certain actions, right? as co compared to like visiting a battlefield where a lot of people were killed. Sometimes, even though that may have been a long time ago, you still can kind of feel like, oh, something bad happened here, right? The, the ethos of that place is kind of marked by the actions, right? The ethics or against the ethics, you know, there was a lot of killing in this place, right? That's a, that leaves a kind of, yeah. And it may just be that we know, okay, this is, Gettysburg, right? This is what happened here. Might be that we know the history. Who knows? But ethical in that sense is the actions that we take. So it begins with actions, our conduct. And then on that basis of an ethical conduct, not causing harm, helpful, compassionate actions, is meditation practice. So in this sense, the ethical conduct is the basis. And then the meditation comes on that basis which is to say that if we were able to be sitting together in person, if you had to sit there and you're doing your mindfulness and you're worried that someone's going to steal your purse or do you see what I mean? A pickpocket or whatever. It just makes for more turbulence. It's hard to actually engage the practice if there isn't some basic ethical guidelines in place. Like, okay, we're here for the, for the, for Dharma engagement and we, in a sense, commit ourselves to not causing harm as, as the basis of the spiritual path and the practice of meditation. So meditation, mindfulness, awareness for us. And then, so each one kind of leads, the ethical conduct is the basis for the meditation practice. And then the meditation practice is the basis for some kind of insight or seeing clearly or knowing, some kind of accurate knowing. Inaccurate knowing would be we see things, we know things, but it's distorted. And, you know, in, in ancient India, the example that's used, like so many di different traditions, they'll say, you walk into a room and it's slightly dark and you see a rope and you think the rope is a snake. So that's not accurate. It's a rope. <laughs> but maybe you've heard there's a lot of snakes in this place and your eyesight and it's a little dark or whatever. So you mistake the, you get, you know, like, oh, What's, are we okay? Are we going to be all right? Is it a poisonous snake? And it turns out it's not any kind of snake. And I suppose that distortion could go the other way, that sometimes there might be snakes that we think are just ropes. And that's, of course, that's a real question is, is what's the threat? Is there a danger here? Is there a real danger? How much am I just carrying over that the last time I was in a room like this, this is how it felt? Do you see what I mean? So then that third one, based on good conduct or ethical conduct, some meditation would be insight into knowing 
and clearly being able to distinguish ropes from ropes, snakes from snakes. <laughs> that's sort of, and that's the real, what can I say? I mean, I think that's what distinguishes the teachings of the Buddha is that kind of insight. Meditation practice is practiced in many, many traditions. In India, it would have been practiced in many different ways, Hindu tradition or whatever, but insight meditation, this kind of knowing. So in terms of coming to that kind of knowing, <laughs> there's also another set of three that that knowing is cultivated or strengthened by hearing. And probably that's usually hearing words. But I suppose it could be any sense perception of hearing. In, in Takpo Rinpoche in Gampopa, it says, one should listen to the Dharma like a deer listening to music. That's in the jewel ornament of liberation. I've often wondered what, how, how does a deer listen to music? <laughs> um, you know, mentioning John Lennon or something like, probably the deer isn't thinking, oh, I'm glad this is the Beatles because I don't like the Rolling Stones or whatever it is. It's just sort of open and listening. And then after hearing is thinking about it, sometimes called contemplating. You've heard the Four Noble Truths, the truth of suffering. I was just looking at Kate Johnson's book, Radical Friendship. There's this teaching about friendship that the Buddha gave, how to be a mitra, a friend. So then you think about, okay, who's been a good friend in my life? I'm grateful for their friendship. So thinking it over and seeing how it applies to one's own uh, experience and one's own life situation. And traditionally, after the like the deer listens to music for this one, they say, like a person shearing sheep, <laughs> um, which this being New York City, there's probably not much sheep shearing going on. But people who have sheared sheep have told me, okay, you want to hold the wool and you want to cut. You don't want to cut into the sheep, of course, that's whatever. And you don't want to leave more extra. So you're kind of learning to discern and cut carefully. So that's the second part. And I think thinking it over, thinking over what we've heard or what we've read in the myth of freedom or whatever book it might be, Sharon Salzberg's book on uh, loving kindness and applying it to our own, I think it's a kind of slow thinking. It's not quick to get to the right answer and been there, done that, and let's move on to the next book or the next teaching. I think it's kind of mulling it over and chewing it over, just like that person shearing the sheep, cutting very carefully. Uh, there's a book by Kahneman, Daniel Kahneman, who's professor at, at Princeton. I think he's retired now. Uh, behavioral economics is the field that he, in, his book was called uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, TFS, Thinking Fast and Slow. <laughs> so there's a kind of fast thinking that we do. And then he also talked about slow thinking. And I always thought, I don't know if this is what he would have <laughs> agree or not, that contemplating is kind of slowly thinking something over, slow thinking. Okay, so that's that one. And then the last one, hearing, contemplating, is meditating, which involves letting the words go and then moving towards one experience. And see, that's, that's how this is all like a lead in to doing this welcoming exercise, because the welcoming exercise is all about one's experience. So we let go of the words, even there, they might be really good words, words that come from the Buddha, words that come from whoever, she said, they said, but we let go of the words and we go into our own experience and taste that and see how it is. 
And then, you know, it ends, the gong sounds, and we stop. And then we might, you know, what was that? What they call mindfulness, awareness? What was that? <laughs> and then we're back to contemplating, right? Thinking it over. And then maybe we go back and we'll see, oh, well, what did they say about the four foundations of mindfulness? What, what is mindfulness of body? And we're kind of comparing and distinguishing. Yeah, my experience is like what he says, but then sometimes I don't know what he's talking about. Chung Rinpoche, psychosomatic body, mindfulness of body, not body body, and so forth. So there's a kind of, it goes into phase and it's clear and then it's like, mm, I'm not quite so sure. And all of that is the path. <laughs> That's part of a, so one more, last set of three, which goes with the hearing and contemplating being working with the words. We hear the words or we read the words. Charlie Rinpoche's book on karma, read the words, you think about the words, what is karma? And for us, you know, in this part of the world, it's pretty much a psychological approach to understanding karma, a psychological understanding of karma. It's not sort of why it's, what is, was that book, other book years ago, um, when bad things happen to good people? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's what we're aiming for in trying to understand karma is why our neighbor's house caught on fire or, or, you know, like that's like way, way, way down the road or something. And traditionally it's said that only the Buddha really understands karma in that way, that on the night in which the Buddha fully awakened, the Buddha could see previous lifetimes, which would have been, of course, common sense in the Indian context that there's other lifetimes in the context, our cultural context, maybe, maybe not, maybe not at all to some people, maybe possible to some people. But the Buddha on the night of the awakening, it says, looked back and said, ah, there I was such and such. I was so-and-so, I did this. And then in my next lifetime, I was so-and-so. And there I was born in that, and I did such and such. And so that's, that was part of this enlightenment experience. And, but it isn't when we're studying karma and trying to understand karma, we're trying to actually understand the workings of our mind in an everyday way, you know, wherever we are in the city, in the country. So last set of three, and we'll go into the exercise. This is in a meditative tradition called Mahamudra. They say there's understanding and then there's experience again, which is going to be the point of the welcoming exercise that we're about to do is our experience. And after understanding and experience, there's something called realization, to realize Mahamudra in that case. <clears throat> understanding is just to get the idea. Sometimes translators will say intellectual understanding. And it means the ideas, the words, again, starting with the words. Then, but the words are not enough. Like, it's not just, oh, I, I, I bought this book like, on the Tibetan Book of the Dead or whatever. Like, that probably won't necessarily, like, at the moment of dying, you can't say, well, I, I got the book. <laughs> like, what, what, what use will that be? So there's always been the sense in the Buddha Dharma that the words are the beginning of something beyond words. And that's what in, in the understanding, experience, realization, the experience part Sometimes translators say temporary experience, that you could have a temporary experience of a kind of peacefulness or friendliness and warmth, whatever it might be. It's really not necessary to say temporary experience, 
because in the teachings of the Buddha, no, no experience is permanent. All experiences are impermanent. That was one of the first things the Buddha taught. Everything changes. All experience is temporary. It arises, it lasts a certain, and then it goes away. And then another one, and it's there, and it goes away. So that's the nature of experience, is to be impermanence. I don't think that's just you know true for Buddha Dharma. That's just how it is, right? <laughs> that everything, we probably have noticed that, right? And particularly in the last two, two, three years going on now. And so, um, and, but it helps to distinguish experience in that sequence. Understanding, you get the idea. Experience, you taste it. It's not just the recipe. It's not just the menu. You actually taste it. And then realization is not a taste that comes and goes. So it might be called one taste or same taste. That it's not, you know, something sweet and then it's sour and then it's, which is usually how almost all our experience is like that, is changing. But realization, they say, is unchanging. Sort of like the sky, different clouds come into the sky if it's been raining, it was snowing here, I'm in Colorado last night. So, but the sky is the sky in some way. There are stars, there are meteors, there's a moon that waxes and wanes. The sky is the sky. In a sense, the sky welcomes whatever. There's jets flying around, there are birds flying around. It's all welcome. <laughs> okay, so that was all lead in, and now we're gonna do the welcoming exercise. Uh, maybe I'll pause before we do that um, and just see if you have any questions about anything of the lead-in, the on-ramp. Um, I've heard that phrase before, one taste, but I've, it's always confused me, uh, especially in light of my Shambhala training, which has been very much to awaken the sentences, to be awake. Um, and so... What is one taste then? It's, yeah. it, I'm sure it doesn't mean everything is dull and very taste, good. Very taste good. less, right? So, so two things are really good here. One is that you have a question, like one taste. What is that? Which right. you know, you, you know, that's already like <clears throat> that means you don't assume that you know what it is. And I, you know, I, I'm not. I don't know that I know, <laughs> but it is a sign of a a certain lack of arrogance to be humble enough to like wonder, like when they say one taste, I wonder what they mean. So that's, that's good to, to, to have a question is good. The path might be made out of questions, like that our questions may, rather than that we get more and more answers, maybe we get, maybe we get nuances of questions or something. I don't know, we'll see, it's a whole, uh... and then the other thing that's good is that you began to distinguish, you, 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 you guessed, and I guess the same, that when they say one taste, they don't mean everything is gray or blah, or what is that, meh? Is that people say meh? No. It's, it's not, that that, that, and I, I agree, I don't think that that's what they meant either, is that everything is sort of blah or bland. It's neither red nor green, you know, it's, there's no ups and downs. I don't think it means that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what, I mean, I don't know how to say what one taste is but i think what would be <laughs> i remember i'm sorry to laugh i remember 
Trump Rinpoche saying, I think this was a Naropa seminar. Like, you know, we're in Vermont and we're in the, it was like December and it's cold and there's icicles. And he said, go put your tongue on an icicle. <laughs> Which I'm like, well, what will that do? You know, it's just cold and my tongue will be. <laughs> um, but I, you know what? I'm not even sure what that example or means, but it does point to it's an experience or it's a realization. We are not trying to get the right words for it exactly. What is it in Sanskrit? Ekarasa, Samarasa, in Tibetan it's Rochik. Okay, but that just tells us that's other languages naming it, you know, and we say in English one taste. Gunther says one value. Interestingly enough, but we're not going to be satisfied with just the words because that that they're like, they're just words. <laughs> what can I say? You know what I mean? It would be like if you were really hungry and somebody handed you a menu <laughs> or, or a recipe, you can't eat that. You can't you don't actually get nourishment from that. The, the usefulness pragmatically of the recipe is that it helps us with how to cook some food that then is nourishing and strengthening. So that's as far as I could, like, it's an experience, one taste. Yeah. <laughs> Does it have something to do with that other phrase about, they say, when you're realized you have no preferences, yet you still like chocolate versus vanilla ice cream? Or more than that, even, maybe you are still careful not to cause harm and to be skillful and compassionate. So in other words, that was in the description of it, that this welcoming is both as spacious as the sky, and it includes discerning what to cultivate and what to not cultivate, not to make any more of that. So there's some kind of discerning still going on. It's not just like, oh, everything's everything. Or you'll hear people say, oh, it's all good. I don't know what that means, <laughs> personally. Whenever I hear that, I, I just like you about one, when I hear people say, that, I think, I wonder what, what, what does that mean? What do they mean, first of all? <laughs> like, you know, like, what is that? How could it all be good? And maybe it means something important. You know, just because I don't personally grasp what that means doesn't mean it's not true and worthy, but, but you know, it, it would take some contemplation, like, in what way is it all good? Because, you know, the world doesn't seem all good. We don't, we, right? I, no, do we have a day in which everything that happens in it, we go, oh, right? So then what, what are we talking, what are we saying if we say it's all good? I, 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 again, I think it's like, I like Trilogy's title. What it is, like, is what that might mean in a Dharmic context, let's say, aside from just pop, and then what it isn't. It doesn't mean anything goes, or it's all all right, or it's not all all right. <laughs> Who thinks that? What, what intelligent person thinks it's all all right? Like, it isn't all all right. <laughs> well, what I'm having now is, you know, when challenges arise, before, yeah. before you realize it, it's a catastrophe, say, so yes. that, that all or nothing thinking, and then if you're realize you're just rising to your challenges, right? Yeah, very good. As someone said that on the on the weekend, we were going through the opportunity that we have to practice, the fact that that doesn't last, the fact that what we do, karmic cause and effect, we have some agency, 
and the fact that there's a lot of confusion and and the, the, when that's taught it's often to motivate us to i'm going to step out of confusion and they said well that just sounds like fearful you know why are you emphasizing fear <laughs> you're supposed to be talking about fearlessness or something and they said well whatever arises we can meet that we can rise to the challenge we can meet that that's part of bravery and and, and that sounded good to me i i thought yeah that sounds good so okay maybe that is what it means maybe maybe yeah just so thank you very much good to see you okay welcoming exercise uh, an experiential exercise called welcoming and here's the instructions for the welcoming and let me see okay um the welcoming exercise is just we're going to sit here for like i don't know two three minutes and whatever our experience is in those two or three minutes we're going to allow that to happen if we hear something there'll be hearing if we think something this is very important if we have thoughts we're going to allow our thoughts to happen if we feel our foot we're going to allow that feeling the foot to happen if we feel some happiness we allow that happiness to be here what in other words welcoming has no agenda it has no point or target and it is not meditating this is not meditating welcoming is not a meditation it's not mindfulness it's not trying to be present it's not nowness or being in the now it's not any of that if you are sitting there and you think about something that happened during your day perfect if you think about what the rest of the week is going to be like wednesday thursday friday if you think about the weekend fine that's all included in welcoming if you feel your bottom on your cushion or on your chair that's included if you remember your mother and you love her very much fine that's that, that's a memory and it's a feeling everything is included what we welcome whatever and if it's if it's very gray and blah and nothing i'm just like what is this or you'd like what is the point or this seems stupid boring that's it <laughs> that's our experience you know what i mean like that's not wrong and it's not that it's better if you enjoy it or whatever it's a whatever <laughs> okay so that's going to be it and i'll time just a couple of minutes of, in a sense, it's a kind of not doing, it's not meditating, but I wouldn't consider it what's called non-meditation either, in terms of if there's any fanciness, you know, hovering around. I think this is very ordinary, in the ordinary sense of just, you know, we're just folks, human beings, and we're just going to not interfere in our experience at all. If, if we end up judging like, oh, that wasn't a very nice thought, welcome that. That's what happened is we were judging. It's probably not the first time <laughs> that it's ever <laughs> happened. And we would be really lucky if it were the last. <laughs> so um, that's it. I'm just gonna pause and see if anybody has a, any question about the welcoming exercise. What is the point of the welcoming exercise? The point is to notice our experience. What's it like to sit here not doing anything, including not meditating, not contemplating, not remembering the Dharma, Eightfold Path, or anything, not planning our vacation, you know, now that Omicron seems to be 
which it's not doing anything. If thoughts about you're you're going to have a summer vacation in Nova Scotia, that's what happened. Is you had a thought, Debbie Frederick? Please go ahead. So, how do I differentiate noticing from mindfulness? Because they feel similar to me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, when one does what's called mindfulness meditation, you've heard of that. Mindfulness awareness. It's a very famous in this part of the world now. It's part of mainstream. So in mindfulness meditation, you have some focus. And very often it's having something to do with the breath or breathing. Some people have told me that when like the Kabat Zen folks teach mindfulness based stress reduction, somebody will bring in a package of raisins and they'll chew on the raisin and they'll say, you taste that raisin? Good, sweet California raisins. That's mindfulness of taste. So I'm just holding up my little gong here. If you take your attention and you place it on the body breathing, body's breathing, that's mindfulness of the body breathing. <laughs> this does not have any deliberate placing of the attention on anything. The other part of mindfulness, as you know, is when you are sitting there supposedly <laughs> meditating, <laughs> mindfulness meditation, but you actually, your, your mind has gone out the window and back to your friend and maybe you're going to text them later or whatever. And when you notice that, you return the attention to the body breathing. This is called mindfulness meditation, mindfulness awareness. So this is none of that. There's no focus. There's no target. You're not, and you're not straying from it and you're not coming back. It's, it's sort of none of those. So that's why this is like a not doing. That's cl as close as I could get is like just not doing anything. And if you find you're doing something, welcome that for a moment at least, right? You're not fighting with yourself. It's making friends with yourself in that way. But don't keep doing whatever it is. If you find that you're saying a mantra, because that's just your habit, or you find that you're meditating because you're just so habitually a meditator, that's good. In another context, that would be excellent. In this context, stop doing that. Just, just don't do it. And it's only two or three minutes. So you can always get back to whatever it was some other time. But does that help you in distinguishing? Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Thank you. That's a very clarifying question of how is this any, I remember teaching this or guiding this exercise once in Vermont and somebody said, uh, and they said, oh, this is what I do when I'm meditating. <laughs> I thought this was meditating. <laughs> and I said, okay, yeah, I know, I think I know what you mean, yeah. Um, but actually meditating means to, it, it involves some right effort, right? It involves placing, repeated placement, continuous placement, close placement. All of that involves placing or resting or doing something. And this isn't doing anything, right? This is like nothing. <laughs> as close as possible to nothing, <laughs> not doing anything. So good to, and, and by the way, the other way around, maybe welcoming will help us when we do return to actually meditating. Like, oh, okay, maybe I begin with just not doing anything. But then at a certain point, it's like there's an inner gong, you know? And now I'm placing my attention on the body breathing. Out breath goes out, in breath and out breath. And I'm doing that. And, and you see what I mean? Like it, the distinctions, right? The wool and the sheep and the, 
the, you know, the clarifying, being able to distinguish, oh, one thing is called meditating, and one thing is called not doing anything, even not meditating. So, and those might, uh, they might have something to, they might help each other, like a good friendship, effort and non-effort, Rinpoche once called them. We'll, we'll do this two or three minutes, and then I'll say, okay, stop doing whatever you are not doing or something like that. Just a couple of minutes, all right? So I don't see any hands or any questions or anything. Um, so please just upright, eyes open. You're not trying to change your breath, your emotions, your heart, your thoughts, your mind, your cognitive, anything. Just however it comes, let it come that way. Let it be. Uh, however it is, let it, let it be that way. And if you find yourself fussing with it, then let that be. Take your hands, if they're in the usual meditation posture, if your hands are on your knees or thighs, and just place them in your lap. No particular meditation mudra or hand position. And this is to just, you know, um, that this is not meditating. So if you would, just let your hands flop in your lap somewhere there. We're attending to what is our experience in the welcoming. We're not trying to have a particular experience. There's no target. There's no goal or aim to it. But we are kind of, we might even be a little bit inquisitive about what experiencing is. It's often kind of taken for granted. Well, of course I'm experiencing as long as I'm alive. And even when I'm asleep, I sometimes have dreams. So we're experiencing, we're alive and we're experiencing. And we're not trying to manipulate our experience in any way whatsoever to have a good experience or a meditative experience or a mindful experience or a Buddhist experience or a Dharmic experience or anything, spiritual experience. None of that, just what is the experience this time and place of being alive as a human being? What is that experience? We're not looking for an answer. Certainly no Jarma jargon like, oh, it's emptiness, luminosity. Wash your mouth out with soap. No jargon. We're just trying to see for ourselves. No recipe, no menu. A taste. This is what's called empirical. We're tasting our experience. We're not trying to make it one taste. We're just trying to see what it tastes like. And it may taste different ways. Just taste it. What does it taste like? Experience. There is no dogma that it should be, you should be having X or Y. None whatsoever. Whatever you're having, that's what you're having. That's what you're experiencing. Just trust that. A couple of minutes, two, three minutes of welcoming exercise.
okay, stop welcoming <clears throat> or whatever you were not doing. And so, as I said, I think at the, at when we first started that the point of this exercise is experience. And I think experience is really, first of all, experience is our experience. So nobody can take that away from us or even like no one knows that as well as we do in some way. It's, it's our experience. It's, 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 you know, you can't even throw it away because that would be the experience of throwing away. Like whatever we're experiencing, we are experiencing that. And I think it's just very valuable that there's the Dharma of what the words are, that Buddha word, Buddha vachana, it's called in Sanskrit, in the sutras, in the teachings, in the books, in the talks, the podcasts or whatever, those are good, but equally good would be looking into our own experience and not judging it from the point of view of, am I having the experience of what that Rinpoche or that Roshi or that Vipassana teacher was talking about? Like, just what, what is the experience, not by anybody else's criteria of, is, is it a better or worse, or is it getting improving or like, what is it? This, this experience. So that's, um, I, 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 I'm interested myself as a thread in my own life and practice, I'm interested in exploring that of what's experience, what's experience like. And um, I'm not sure anybody gets any better at the welcoming. It's not that kind of thing, like there's level three of it or anything like, I, and in some way I think everybody welcomes at some moments in their day that's just, you know, you, you smell the smoke of something, or you hear a sound, and you, you, that's, you know, and then you may, oh, I don't like that sound, or I'm going to get out of here, or whatever it might be. That, that comes, yeah. So anybody would be willing, particularly anybody whose voice we have not heard already, um, what was your experience of the welcoming exercise? Hi, sorry, I'm not on camera. I'm just totally zoomed out. Okay. Um, I really like, I, I, I found the whole thing so pleasant. It was such a, I don't know, kind of a relief just to um, let it be, you know, um, especially if a negative thought came up, you know, sometimes I'll judge it, you know, oh, I shouldn't, whatever. Um, and then to say, oh, no, it's okay. And then, but then to realize that the judgment is okay too, or the non-judgment, that it's all okay. And that, that um, it's just, to me, it's just like uh, being alive in the moment, whatever it is. And I'm not always that great at letting myself be and letting whatever else is going on uh, in the world, letting it be. Mm. But um, I don't know. I just, I just felt um, kind of a peace and I'm just kind of grateful for it. Thank you. Sure. You're, you're more than welcome, so to speak. Um, oh. <laughs> thank you very much. And uh, my, my response is I feel like doing it again sometime. <laughs> I feel like living that way. Thank you. <laughs> well, yeah. Any someone else? What was your experience of the 
uh, a welcoming exercise. Yeah, it, it was very reminiscent of what I've been doing meditating <laughs> lately mm -hmm. uh, without really knowing that that's what I was doing. So that was good to, mm -hmm. to hear it. Um, but I, I guess I had a lot of uh, kind of Buddhist judgment, like, mm -hmm. oh, my mind's off again, mm -hmm. you know, come back and felt a little like Rachel's on the call, which is interesting. I was recently retaking a course with her. Mm -hmm. on um i think it was meditation in everyday life mm -hmm. and i know maybe it was a different one but um i remember commenting that when you do the introductory meditation it feels very forceful to sort of mm -hmm. like yank mm -hmm. yourself mm -hmm. back to mm -hmm. following the breath right and so i kind of have that habit and so mm -hmm. it felt a little not not as hard but it was sort of like oh i'm doing something yeah Remember that this is not meditating, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that goes both ways. But, it, but it, sort of, <laughs> it sort of led me to the question, because I've heard the instruction, you know, you neither lead nor follow or ignore your thoughts. Right, right. Exactly. Kind of like what this is. Yeah. At the same time, you're not like, you still, it's, a, it's sometimes you're still kind of coming back, right? Or no? I don't think so. A friend oh. of mine, I, I was, I had written this and I sent it to a friend of mine and they said, well, you might just be distracted that whole while. And I said, yeah, you might. Like right. there's no, there's no guardrail on it. There's no safety net. It's just because it is what it is. It's not. And, and note that we're not saying do this all the time or have this be the only thing you do. Or I'm going to disagree with Lynn a little live this way. I don't know. I think to live, you need to actually like discern. <laughs> Do I want more of this in life? Is this helpful, skillful? And, 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 you know, I don't want more of that. That's not helpful. That's harmful, toxic, whatever. As soon as you said not meditating, it just kind of you know, dropped and opened up. And I actually felt like I was in a, gathering like we're in the same room which i didn't feel before oh beautiful you know, it, yeah you know i was looking around and which i used to do at the dharma gatherings in new york i'd mm -hmm. i'd always mm -hmm. not just sit there and meditate i'd look and see what everybody else is doing mm -hmm. and, and i noticed a few people i said you're meditating you're meditating, you're <laughs> meditating. <laughs> um so what else what else did you notice aside from that other people were meditating <laughs> so. uh, just really that I felt like I was in the same room with everybody. Okay. I usually don't get doing the Zoom meeting. Okay. And then what else did you notice? Did you have any sights, sounds, smells, thoughts, taste, your sits bones, your legs, your your memory of your grandfather, anything? Yeah. I think because I wasn't as stiff, mm -hmm. I didn't, that kind of went away. Mm -hmm. But that could have been because we stood up before you started. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, no, I just felt like, I'm in my room, but I'm with you guys. And, mm -hmm. you know, I took a drink of water and mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. yeah, more relaxed. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm experiencing physical pain, which I, I, I've been noticing for a while now. But um, as soon as we started, I felt absolute joy. Just, ah, completely unexpected. 
Yeah, because we weren't even doing anything. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, I believe you. And, uh, but, you know, if there were pain, that would also be the, right? I mean, yeah. you know, it just, yeah. So, but re- joy, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm sitting in a, in, in a place where I, I, I normally practice. Mm-hmm. And I never feel joy when I'm practicing. <laughs> <laughs> So that might be worth inquiring into as well. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we take it. Whatever arises or doesn't arise or it's just however it is. Yeah. And it might be different at another time. So that would be like if that happened to me, if I felt some joy sitting down and not doing anything, if if the next day I tried to reproduce that, I think that would be me making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like, cause then I'm trying to like, what happened? I, last time this was so joyful. Where's the joy? Like, come back. When, what do I, when's it gonna, I'll maybe, oh, if I did it 10 minutes. <laughs> like, so anyway. Um, yeah, I, I, I know enough not to try to reproduce the, yeah, the yeah. same effect. I figured, um, yeah. But it's an interesting thing to do, thing to not do. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I was just thinking about, um, um, I've always been a person that um, doesn't have a problem doing nothing. <laughs> and yeah. that, that's, that's been my biggest challenge in life, you know, is, is to uh, focus. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, um, it also leads me to think that there can be a lot of creativity in that. And I was looking at some of the artwork from my son's uh, years past that I kept up on the wall. Right. Where he was totally uh, impulsive and free of thought and would just mm-hmm. create things mm-hmm. in an innocent kind of childish way. Yeah. And, and how wonderful that is. And it gave me recollections of, times past in the 60s and 70s where you know doing nothing and spacing out and imbibing mm-hmm. in a few illicit things and it was just a wonderful way to be mm-hmm. and oh, so okay they were happy thoughts they were happy yeah okay if if you say so <laughs> <laughs> um i i think i mean if we did it longer I think it might have some of this quality that you're talking about. And friends of mine have said, you know, after a hard day at work, I like just kind of sitting, maybe my cat's on my lap and I'm petting the cat and I like just kind of sitting there. Is that welcoming? And I, well, yeah, whatever happens while we're sitting here doing nothing is is welcoming. But it might be that if we did it, um, like I, I notice, like sometimes it might actually start to be a kind of more intense if that's what's bubbling up in our kind of life stream or mind stream. Do you see what I mean? Like it might right. not be relaxing. That's all I'm, I'm just trying to leave the door open for like, there's no, there's no parameters on it or whatever. It could be right. however. And, and whereas when I'm, I'm tired at the end of the day and I, you know, I'm just kind of sitting you know, whatever, that's kind of like really trying to decompress and whatever. And I'm not, in fact, there's a kind of warding off. What I've noticed is 
if something comes up that's kind of tension in my life or stress or I'm I'm sad about something, I'll kind of like, not now. Right now, I'm just trying to, you know, unstress or de-stress or whatever. But that wouldn't be welcoming. Welcoming would allow that intensity, yeah, to be there. You see what I mean? And it could be yes. grief. Yes, it could be, so. Yeah, it could be joy. It could be whatever it is. So that's that's a slight difference, I think. So what I noticed, first of all, was just really a feeling of my heart beating, just the feeling of heartbeat. Um, and but quite strongly, that kind of was the key feeling I was experiencing. And then at a certain point, my cat, who was on my lap, speaking of what you said a moment ago, mm -hmm. uh, jumped off the lap. Mm -hmm. And so then there was a little awareness of hearing his uh, claws on the floor, hearing sound and that. And then it kind of came back to the heartbeat thing. And it was just really very simple. Were your eyes open? Yes. And did you hear anything? During the time? Well, yes, yeah. The sound of the cat. Um, I mean, in one part, I, I, I was sort of feeling and hearing my heartbeat. Heart, wow. And, uh -huh. and then also, uh, you know, heard the cat. Uh, I probably heard some traffic noise, but yeah. that's like always yeah. there. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. It must be very quiet where you are that you could almost hear your heartbeat. I was surprised. It's not like what, nor I mean, you know, it's not like that happens every time I sit. Right, right. It was, it was definitely something that came come up, and, I, and so you know there was noticing of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you very much. Good to see you. Lovely to see you. Okay. What was unusual for me? Ah, uh, uh huh. I didn't think. Oh, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because you certainly have permission to think. Oh yeah, it, but I'm you know I'm doing all kinds of meditations trying to stop the mind from thinking. <laughs> Right. deliberately yeah and here it is yeah you know, it was just refreshing and i didn't expect that it would last for more than a few seconds yeah and then it continued and it continued and i was again what you were saying about the senses you know that check out what's going on yeah and i started hearing my tinnitus ah i still hear it yeah now i don't normally pay any attention right yeah yeah and then sort of this is part of the body. Yeah, it is. Yes, thank you very much for your report. I do remember once doing an exercise, maybe with John Rockwell, and the idea was to have some thoughts. And when we did the sort of check-in afterwards, somebody said, you know, I was trying to have thoughts and none of them were coming. <laughs> I mean, the mind is so funny that way. Like, okay, let's have some thoughts in order to do this. We're gonna look at thoughts. We're gonna look at the moving mind mind no thoughts like you just never know what's um yeah anyway very good to see you you're good to see you okay take care when we were talking about recognition it had the flavor to me of having recognition takes some energy yeah so uh, that's how i would differentiate it yeah yeah, I think that's I think that's a good distinction. If there's anything you're doing, recognizing, acknowledging, whatever, don't do that <laughs> in the welcoming. And then at another time, do something like you see what I mean? It's not like it's a it's, you know, it, it, like this is the only thing to do or, the, you know, it isn't at all. It's just a little thing. It's no big deal. Um, 
and then do do something you know, make an effort be mindful recognize acknowledge inquire panoramic awareness all kinds of things all those are all really good things sending and taking compassion those are great <laughs> you know visualizing dissolving whatever it is yeah those are also good being with friends being with family so the only part i think that serves of how these might fertilize each other cross pollinate meaning no effort the, the the welcoming being a no effort like i'm i'm like less and less and less effort and things that take effort like meditation practice or work whatever livelihood or work we're involved in is that maybe the non-effort could come into the effort as a little bit lighter touch you know what i mean like you're being around a friend and something rubs off like maybe some of that non-effort could 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 rub off on the effort and we wouldn't push so hard and that actually might be more effective i don't know that's like a possibility and then likewise maybe effort could teach non-effort something i'm not quite sure what that is right now but the way that you know there could be a mutual sharing and but you know they're different but they have something to to uh, share with each other thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.